how about we don't try and make food perfect because it's not perfect, just like life's not perfect. If you're recycling, that's awesome. But you also need to look at all these other pieces and you don't have to be doing them perfectly. The first step is reduce, then reuse, then recycle. They are in order. Get inspired by people fighting to make this world better for everyone. This is Unwasted with Imperfect. Hello and welcome back to the Unwasted Podcast. I'm your host, Riley Brock, and it's my honor every week to talk with experts in food, health, sustainability, and generally making the world a better, tastier place. Today's guest is a true Renaissance woman. After getting her degree in culinary arts, she's made a name for herself as a chef, caterer, event planner, and fierce advocate for diversity and inclusion in the food world. Chef Mimi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is definitely an honor to be on this podcast, and uh, I'm just excited to get started. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here today. Uh, in a former life, I was a line cook as well, so I definitely relate to your experience on that level of, of just you know going through the grind of working in kitchens. It's not easy work. It's not glamorous work, so I have a ton of respect for anyone that, you know, it goes through that as, as a line of work. I'd love to start with, how did you first get into food? Okay, um, let's see. I, uh, I've always been very, very passionate about food, even as a young person. Um, I, re- I think I remember being like maybe like four or five and watching my mom do something super magical, and that was like make gravy. So it was like the whole science behind food was something that I was attracted to, like her taking like oil and flour and browning it and then adding water. I'm like, hmm, this is what, you know, cooking is about from a scientific, you know, like child mind. Um, and so from there, I was just, you know, I was introduced to food um, living in the Berkeley, Oakland area we had a lot of people who were making like amazing dishes um, from like the gardens that they had in their backyard. Um, And there was, it was a lot of different multicultural families on our block. So I got a chance to eat, you know, have like Hanukkah and have, you know, celebrate like Indian holidays and, you know, just engulf myself in like different cultures through food as a young person. And I think that was like my first, you know, sort of like idea around why I fell in love with food. Wow. That's awesome. What a, that sounds really cool. This, this kind of um, like living the culinary melting pot, it sounds like. Yeah. And it, it definitely opened up an idea for me to, um, to sort of define myself as I started uh, getting older, I I realized that my definition of food was a little bit different than the, the peers that I was around. Um, I was all, I wrote an article called why black girls don't eat avocado. Uh And it, it's a, um, it was published in a, in a sort of radical food magazine. Um, And I also have it on LinkedIn. Uh, and it talks about sort of my journey bringing this like super, you know, whole wheat, like ugly avocado sandwich to school with like sprouts hanging out the side. And people would always say, why are you eating white people's food? Well, and I, I didn't understand that. I was like, what? Like, this is what I eat. Yeah. I didn't understand how 
culture and the idea of eating something healthier was pertained to race. Hmm. And so I started like kind of like reclusing, you know, and not wanting to show the sandwiches that I had or what I had in my lunchbox, which was super normal for me, you know, being from the Berkeley, Oakland area and everybody on the block, you know, was eating like from their gardens and shopping at a store called Co-op and, you know, going to farmer's markets and stuff like that. So it wasn't, race wasn't a part of what I grew up with in terms of food. Yeah. But I was, I was, uh, I was quickly reminded, you know, that there was, there are some differences and that set me on to my journey um, as a chef to sort of find out what I wanted and how I wanted to live my life through food. Yeah. You've, you've actually beat me to my next question, which is, you know, I, I think right now a lot of us are grappling with uh, race and racism and how they play themselves out in different parts of our lives. You know, I'd be, I'd love to hear, did you experience any challenges or adversity as a black woman coming up in the food world, which, you know, I know from my experience is an overwhelmingly male world and often an overwhelmingly white world as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, once I started going to culinary school, um, there was a lot of products that I hadn't been introduced to. Um, and so I had to learn, you know, they start, you know, the education of culinary culinary arts with um, European food and the whole um, European idea around food. And so I didn't really understand because we had used so many spices in our food and, you know, we were, you know, cooking um like one of my favorite restaurants was the was a Moroccan restaurant and we would eat you know a lot of south asian food and african food like foods that had like really full flavor and so going to culinary school and starting in europe was just it was mind boggling because i'm like what happened to africa and india huh. and the spices and you know latin america like where where does that fit into this and you know, for me, it's just trying to figure out if that didn't fit in, then where did I fit in? And so being one of two um, Black people who um, who attended the school at the time, there was, you know, I just, I, I, I just didn't see myself in the food philosophies that were being pushed. So there was, it was definitely very white male driven. And so I had to kind of figure out, you know, what my place was and and sort of struggle with my own food philosophy and, you know, whether this was what they consider prestigious or good enough. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. I mean, you've, you've helped me kind of reframe what I think about as... Uh, I guess the default in culinary education, because you bring up such a good point that, you know, anytime I hear about someone who's gone to culinary school, they you know, they always say, oh, you start with like traditional French sauces, right? Is that true? You start mm-hmm. with like building like a French uh, bouillon or vegetable stock or whatever? Yeah, you learn about all the mother sauces and how they all derive from each other. And those are all European, you know, yeah. French, uh, and those are like considered the mother of, of, of food, you know, yeah. but but, you know, there was stews and all different curries and different sauces that were being made way before that. And so, you know, it's just, it's not, I mean, they're all wonderful. It's just, it's just having a piece of history that needs to be included 
so that you know people people of all color and nationalities can see themselves in food so why not add all of the sauces you know the different ways that people make stock and those type of things to to the space especially when you're learning about you know the ways that you that you make food and and how it contributes to culture yeah no that's that's really interesting i mean it, it just i think makes us all take a moment take a step back and think about yeah why is it you start with french stock because you know like chinese cuisine is arguably much older than french cuisine and they've been making stock and stews and soups there for thousands and thousands of years or yeah like you bring up you know african and caribbean cuisine is like comparably old comparably complex so it's i think it's always important to remember uh, yeah, where is this all coming from and whose perspective am I assuming is the, the norm? I mean, something mm-hmm. that kind of flipped my world on its head was I was watching the uh, David Chang show Ugly Delicious and they, they had mm-hmm. a whole episode about Middle Eastern cuisine and they, they brought up, well, it was, it was about um, kind of like shawarma and the whole meat on a stick mm-hmm. uh, trope in food, which is obviously that transcends any one culture or area, but they bring up even the term Middle Eastern is very Eurocentric because it's to the Middle East of what? Europe, Western Europe, right? So even the terms we're taught as young people and especially young culinary professionals end up shaping what you assume is like, oh, that's normal. And then all of this, that's other, do you know what I mean? Like, and, And thinking about that, just with the example of Middle Eastern food, that really changed my perspective, uh, pretty much forever since then. I'm always, now I'm always asking myself, okay, but who's, who's the assumed subject of this food? And then who are the, who are the others that are like not a part of it? And that's, uh, it's a big shift to make, I think for a lot of people. Yeah, it truly is. Um, you know, just around like the contribution of, you know, Africans in this country in terms of the food. I mean, the, they were the culinary artists, you know, and the uh, field hands, people who were, you know, growing food and, and cultivating food um, in the country. And then once the um, Eastern Europeans got here, they they changed the term so it was like all these black people you know doing these hospitality jobs and then once once the irish and the um european the eastern europeans got here they changed the term from cooks to chefs hmm. so um so black people were not able to be chefs they were they only could be cooks and so that was sort of like the shift. Although, um, I don't know if you know about the story of Hemming, who was Thomas Jefferson's um, chef. And he was, uh, Thomas Jefferson had a mistress and they had 12 kids and she was the, she was the, um, the brother. He, he was the brother of Thomas Jefferson and he traveled to Europe and went to school. And um, this is like during, you know, slavery time. And he was the one who brought back, you know, hamburgers and macaroni and cheese and creme brulee. And a lot of the American food that we love um, was, you know, sort of brought back here by an African-American man. Um, And so it's just, you know, understanding like the culinary history. And that kind of leads me into like, why I feel like it's important to have different voices at the table. Yeah. <laughs> because, um, you know, soul food was sort of like defined as, 
you know, a bl- black culture, black food in America. And um, at that time, you know, it was a lot of things that were sort of left over. There were things that were passed down that we brought over from Africa. Um, but, you know, as we have developed into a more, um, just just being able to to have different foods at our table, we definitely want to reshape, you know, the ideas around soul food to make them more healthier. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we sit on top of most health disparities. And so I've, I've found a really interesting way to sort of start this soul food 2.0, which is really tapping into all of the different um, foods and flavors that are healthy, that are local, that are seasonal, um, that reduce, you know, sugar and fat and bring more herbs and more natural cooking into the, into the idea of what um, we should be, you know, sort of engaging in at this time. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's really important. I want to dig into that a bit, you know, starting with, it seems like a big part of your mission as a chef and chef advocate is is breaking this conception that black chefs, you know, should or mainly cook um, barbecue or soul food. Can you, can we start with how did this stereotype start that that's kind of the totality of, of what black chefs are cooking is, is barbecue and soul food? Like, where did that begin? Yeah, so um, just kind of spinning off on what I was just saying, uh, a lot of, you know, culturally things were brought over here like greens and, you know, yams and things like that. And so um, we we love those foods and those are foods that are, that are also considered, you know, so- Southern Amer- American food. Um, but the idea that, you know, someone sort of looks at someone and says, oh, you know, this is what I believe that you prepare is um, a little insulting, meaning that, you know, as a chef, people, you know, chefs travel, they they learn all different types of cuisines, they pay for their education. And so um, being able to be diverse in the style of cooking and learning about different cultures and is important because it shares it's a shared space you know within the culinary uh world and so what has what has happened unfortunately is that people just assume that a black chef is just you know making fried chicken and biscuits and you know greens all day and it's like no that those that's not just what we make and we don't, you know, as a caterer, you know, I, I always get a lot of jobs during Black History Month because people are looking for that and they just assume that um, that because I'm a Black person that this is what I'm making. And my story is a little quite different considering, you know, I was raised in the Oakland, Berkeley area with like fresh, you know, organic. I hadn't even eaten soul food until I was like well into my adult years. Huh. Um and so we, you know, we didn't, my dad, we didn't eat pork or beef. We didn't really eat a lot of meat. So yeah. we ate a lot of like fresh vegetables and stuff like that, fish. So I wasn't, um, that wasn't like the cuisine that I was raised on, but it's very good. And I do know how to make it. It's just that um, what we're trying to do is 
you know, have a seat at the table where we can have, we can explore all of the different foods that, you know, that make the world great. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds to me that part of the problem with it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's just this very limiting misconception. It, it sort of like boxes you in as a chef saying, oh, this is what you cook, right? It's like, that's, that's kind of a harmful assumption that you're just, it kind of traps you, right? Yes, definitely. I mean, and, it is a harm, it's a harmful assumption on both ends. Yeah. Because um, one, you know, we're, we're redefining and trying to make the food healthier. Uh huh. Um, and then the other part is that that's not the only food that we as chefs can make. Yeah, it, it's just it's funny as I'm thinking about it. I'm flipping the script and saying if someone came to me and said, "Oh, as a as a white cook or white chef, you must make fill in the blank like that." That yeah, that's white 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 people don't get that pushback. Like they don't get boxed mm-hmm. in that way. And to me, that seems to be kind of at the heart of why this is such an unfair and harmful stereotype is like, why is no one saying, Oh, white people, all you cook is potatoes or something. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like I I'm of Irish ancestry, I guess, if you go back far enough, but no one comes to me and says, Oh, Riley, all you cook is cabbage and potatoes. Right. And, and that's essentially what a lot of people are assuming of black chefs, whether or not they realize it, it sounds mm-hmm. like that's, that's kind of the seed at the heart of the assumption. And yeah, it's, I, it, it's really well said what you're bringing up that we, we have to unpack these assumptions we bring to the table. Cause a lot of times it's bigger than just food. It is. And that, you know, and that, that goes for like, not just, you know, a white person looking at a black person saying, you know, you only make this, but it's also, within our own community, you know, mm. the, the assumptions is that, you know, if you're eating something outside of this, that you are, you know, trying to be something outside of, of what they would think you are trying to be. And so we just have to open up the, the dialogue and figure out, you know, what is, what is best, you know, how do we build a more equitable, you know, culinary field? And so, that goes into one of the things that that I'm doing, you know, with the Black Food and Wine Experience, and also with bringing it to the table, and why I created, why I decided to bootstrap and fund my own um, initiatives, is because I want people to be able to feel like they can see themselves in the bigger picture of food. And so sometimes, you know, with media, we don't really see a lot of black people or black chefs, you know, making different types of foods. When, yeah. If you look at the shows, you know, on the Food Network, if they do show a black person, it's going to be some sort of like phrase that comes from a soul food, like hmm. down home with the Neelys or yeah. you know, Southern such and such with blah, blah, blah. You know, uh-huh. it's never going to just be like cooking with Chef Mimi, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a really good point. I'm, I literally was just thinking, I remember as a teenager, I watched a ton of Food Network. I remember one day I looked at it and I was like, why are there no black chefs on Food Network? And then I think the next year they um, they debuted the Neely show you're talking about. And I remember being like, okay, I guess there's a black chef, but yeah, that now they're like stuck in this Southern soul food role, which to your point seems to be kind of part of the problem. Yeah. I mean, it is the problem because when you tie, you know, race, culture, food and health Mm. all together and you only see one narrative and that's the one you know that's that's the one thing you know with the natural food 
um, business, you know, it's very, it's very um, white, you know, liberal male, yeah. you know, and female driven in terms of like going to the natural food conference and not really, you know, out of 17,000 vendors, I'm seeing like two black people, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the conversation is like, well, if, all the marketing and everything is going towards one particular group, then what is the other group getting? Yeah. You know, if, if there's not enough representation in, you know, TV and and media, then what, what are, what is this group actually being, being told and what, what is the food that they're seeing from their side? And that's how we get into, you know, food swamps and food deserts, you know, Mm. because, there's going to be, it just goes right along with the idea of, you know, the fast food nation being put into more low income, you know, people of color communities and being pushed on, you know, price and, and, and all of that type of thing. And so, you know, that's the narrative. That's what they see. McDonald's, fast food, you know, liquor stores, corner stores, yeah. you know, and so that's the food that they're going to tar- be um, given and targeted to. And so with that being said, that's why you're going to have a more healthier and equitable community. And yeah. so we have to have these discussions. And as we talk about Black Lives Matter and we talk Black, you know, representation in food matters too, because yeah. this is our health. Yes. No, and Chef, something I really respect about your work is that you never stop at food. You're always helping folks draw the connections between different parts of our world. And I think that's so important. And none of these issues are, you can't just isolate them and say, oh, this is just a food issue. And and I want to dig in a little bit to the health point you brought up, because this is a really, really top of mind, I think. You know, I've had a couple guests now on the podcast. We've we've dug into food deserts and why they're so problematic. You know, I, I want to. I guess what I'm curious about is this idea of of soul food being unhealthy. You know, it's it sounds like part of the problem is that black chefs are boxed into this corner of oh, you only cook soul food, and then there's this doubled down unhealthy assumption that and soul food is bad for you. Can you help me kind of unpack or understand that? You know, where did this idea that soul food is unhealthy come from, and and how are you trying to change that narrative with your work? Yeah, I mean, people, I'm not sure that people believe that, that soul food is so unhealthy. Um, I think that could be part of the problem. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Is looking at what it is. When, when, when culture and tradition and food collide, then there are like social norms and things that people just feel like it's okay. You know, so I'm adding some extra love to my yams because I'm putting like two pounds of sugar in it, you know, Yeah. or I'm adding some extra love to my, my greens because I'm adding, you know, this extra salt and salt pork and this and that. And so the, the idea around love in food, you know, when we talk about soul food is, is passed down from, you know, generations of people who felt like they wanted something that was very comforting, Hmm. very soothing. And also, you know, traditional from, you know, the things that were brought, some of the things that were brought from, from Africa, but then also making um, foods from the things that people threw out. So when people did, you know, like chitlins and those type of things, a lot of the food was things that, that, that the white people at the time, they didn't want to eat. So 
they would make the best out of it. Yeah. Now moving into today, you know, these we do have a little bit we have more choices in terms of, you know, should we eat, you know, chitlins and those type of things? Um, what is the health benefit of it? And, you know, what does it mean? And so people want to hold on to traditions. They want to hold on to what's comforting. They want to hold on to, you know, grandma made this, so I'm going to eat like this. And with that, um, at the time, you know, slaves, you know, they, they worked a lot. So eating a high fat diet, eating a, a diet with, you know, uh, with lots of sugar, it didn't matter because you're working a lot and you might only get one meal. But mm-hmm. moving on to today and keeping those same traditions, we have to modify because yeah. we're in a different space. Um, so the modification comes in, you know, when we think about, you know, what should we be eating now? How can we cut down on some of the sugar? How can we use um, the foods that already are rich? And, you know, like yams already are sweet. So should we be adding extra sugar to them? Yeah. You know, so just thinking about that and then thinking about the health disparities that are so common in our community that it just feels very comfortable to be diabetic and have high blood pressure. You know, it should not be comfortable. It should be something that we, we, we look at and say, well, you know, eating this type of way is causing me to have high blood pressure. I can just remove some of this salt and substitute. Um, but that, those are skills that need to be shown. Those are because a lot of people, they want the full flavor. That, that's what makes them feel comfortable. Grandma made it like this. This is our tradition. Mm-hmm. And when you have a people who have been taken away from a different, from their culture, they're, they're, re, they're defining that and they want to keep that going. Yeah. But we have to look at it and be a little bit more intentional about you know, let's look at our health as well. You know, let's see what is causing these issues. And a lot of things are food related, but it goes hand in hand with the messages that are being placed into our community. And that is high fast food, food swamps, food deserts, not enough fruits and vegetables, and the lack of black representation in the food system. You have, people have to see diversity. They have to see chefs like myself, chef like the chefs that I that work around me and are a part of um, our organization they have to see that because and they have to see all different types of chefs all different colors but we have to work together so that people can see oh okay this is not just you know for white people this is for us too you know so when the next kid brings an ugly, uh, ugly avocado to school you know with some organic pita chips they're not looked at as as being anything other than themselves yeah no that's that's really well said it's it seems to me that that's a big part of um of some of these these movements and these organizations you're creating you know when we're talking about the black food and wine experience when we're talking about your competition show bringing it to the table uh, a big goal of that is representation right you know just getting a diversity of of chefs out there yeah i mean the goal is to to show the representation is also to uh, demyth the the idea that black chefs only cook soul food and barbecue. Yeah, and it's also to give people an opportunity to see these chefs 
you know, either on a, either on a webisode or a network or in an event that they get to go to. It's, it's literally like the Black Food and Wine experience is such a magical space because people come and they're like, oh, I didn't know, you know, you can have cauliflower rice, you know, and they've heard of these things, but they haven't tried it. So we hmm. have we have our vegan green room, which is like a highlight of the event. And it's, it's all colorful with green lights. And we have um, all the black, you know, we have the vegan hood chefs. We have um, Chef Chu, who ha- has a, a vegan product. We have the ve- uh, Kibu ice cream. She does a, a, a vegan cold press uh, ice cream out of coconut, mi- coconut milk. We have just tons of, t- different people that are making vegan foods and they're making, some of them are making vegan soul food. Some of them are making just, you know, um, vegan dishes. And so, but people come to this room because they're vegan curious and they want to see how we are in this space. So there's a lot of conversation and education that's happening in the room. There's a lot of tasting. Um, and then there's just this like natural cultural exchange. And then people are like, Oh, you know, I tried, you know, a, a plant-based meat for the first time and I really mm. liked it. I really didn't know that it tasted this good, but because they, they just assume that it's not for them. Mm. You know? So we're breaking down some of those ideas and myths around, you know, who should have what and how food should be sourced and, um, and you know what people are what people like and what they don't like because people also have assumption that black people only like this type of food Mm. and so um vegan black vegans are the number the fastest growing population right now um and african-american women are the fastest growing food and travel and you know, they're really excited and just sort of like interested in, you know, the whole food system from, you know, whether they go visit an urban garden or whether they're traveling to go try different types of cuisines. Um, and so they are the fastest growing, you know, group in terms of exploring food. And the we have been able to sort of, we have been able to cater to, towards that population and so um at our last event in february we had we sold out like a month and a half after we released the event um and we had 750 people attend the black food and wine experience in oakland um and then we had about 1500 people on our waiting list to um we just didn't have the room and the capacity and this event is is a labor of love for me yeah. So like it grew, it just, it grew from a hundred to well over, you know, 750 in less than three years. And so right now we're, we're trying to build out um, and, and grow the event in an organic way without losing like the essence of the event. We've had some really cool conversations with um, Visit Oakland and mm-hmm. the James Beard Foundation um, so we are looking into one of the things that we, we also are trying to do is that when people hear the word black food and wine, 
it sort of stimulates a um, separated idea. And so I, I want people to know that the Black Food and Wine Experience is, is available for everyone. Hmm. The, the event is about seeing um, food and wine through Black culture. So it's, it's an event, you know, just like if you were to go to like a Greek festival or, you know, Chinese New Year's, it, it, it's that cultural space. And we want people, uh, we want all people to be able to come and enjoy and see what we do in terms of Black chefs and Black winemakers in the space. We are also opening it up so it's not just all Black vendors. We, we're, we want to share in the space because it's important for everybody to be able to be included in the, in the event that, and that people feel comfortable when they hear the word Black. It, it doesn't, Black is one of the most inclusive groups, if you really think about it. When we have Black people in America mo- have pretty much white people, all different types of people in their family. So they're, you know, our culture is very inclusive. And so, you know, the idea, we've been talking with um, Visit Oakland and coming up with ideas and strategies on uh, ways that we can that we can share the space and that, you know, it, I think it's a really, really good time with, you know, with everybody starting to be more, uh, more aware around, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement and um, people are starting to see like what Juneteenth is and there's people, you know, creating, uh, creating time off from work and stuff like that. So we've moved the event from February to Juneteenth so that we can have time to see what's going on with COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's so important. I, I love this idea of inclusivity through food. It's, it seems like that's a, a recurring theme in your work of just how do we create spaces where everybody feels welcome and it's not just for, for one group of people. I think the world needs more of that now. So I, I just applaud you for that. That's really important. Thank you. We, yeah. um, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm curious to hear, you know, I think culinary competition shows are super popular right now. I feel like the past five, 10 years, they've really grown in popularity. So I'd love to hear a little bit about bringing it to the table as well. You know, that seems really, really awesome to me. Bringing it to the table is the first culinary competition that takes, you know, chefs through all different um, culinary challenges, similar to like the hit show, um, Bravo hit show, Top Chef. Um, We... We started. We start in Oakland, and uh, that's the first web web series that we created. Uh, and the chefs, you know, they they represent like Oakland Bay Area, but we do have some chefs from like Texas and New Orleans. Um, it's a really really fun show, and uh, we diversify the show by by going into you know different um, spaces. So they learn, you know, Japanese cuisine. They get, they go to, one of the challenges is, you know, for them to go into a liquor store in West Oakland and we pair up with, um, we pair up with Mandela Foods, which is a nonprofit organization here in Oakland. And they bring, they bring um, fruits and vegetables from gardeners and black gardeners to seven different liquor stores. And they have to, the chefs have to, they have eight minutes and eight dollars to prepare to grab food and prepare a gourmet dish. And so once they bring the food back to the kitchen, they have 30 minutes to put something together. 
So it's it's really it's it's a fun show. We wanted to show like the diversity um, within just the culture because just even being a black chef, you know, there's different food philosophies from each of the chefs. Yeah. And no, there's, different, there's different backgrounds in terms of, you know, the diaspora. A lot of different people have different ideas. Um, we have, you know, chefs from Africa. We have, you know, vegan, more vegan style. We have our Louisiana chefs. You know, we have um, Brazilian. We have just different types of ideas. And it's all, you know, it's all relevant. Yeah. I, that's, I really... I find that really interesting. This uh, a theme of your work, from my perspective, uh, seems to be opening folks' eyes to the fact that the Black culinary experience is not singular. You know, it, encompassed within. You know, you've brought up on your website, encompassed within Black cuisine is anything from you know Brazilian uh, descendants of of slaves, uh, you know, in Brazil to bah- Bahamian uh, cuisine in the Caribbean to uh, West African cuisine, and you know, a- anything in between. And so, there's so many. There's so many different threads here, and I really appreciate that you raise awareness about that. That just like it, it's, it would be ludicrous for someone to be like, "Oh, white food is this singular thing." It's like, no, it's it's hundreds of different things. And so you're encouraging folks to flip the script and say, "Okay, well then, why are you boxing black food into a corner? It is it is multitudes of different things, and you can't just narrowly define it." That was very well said. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really just quoting you and in my own right. ri- Riley way. But no, I mean, for me, that's been really impactful to think about. That this, this idea that what I grew up thinking was black food was really embarrassingly narrow. And, and right. folks, like, folks like you have opened my eyes that, no, like when we're talking about the African and the diaspora experience, it is, so, it is dozens of different countries, what we, you know, what we consider modern countries. And if you go back, you know, so many different ethnic groups and periods of immigration and, you know, obviously uh, just trade and, and travel and all this stuff, just like any cuisine, you know, it's, and so the, the idea of it being singular is kind of a fallacy. And so I just, yeah, I appreciate, you know, you raising awareness about that. Um, and I, I love the culinary competition show format you're popularizing here because it's it seems very American, this idea of let's understand different other cuisines, let's interact with them, let's play with them, let's subvert them a bit, like what you're talking about with the liquor stores, and then but then we're bringing in healthy produce to it. I, th- I think that's just, yeah, it's really admirable. It's really awesome. Yeah, thank you. I, I wanted to, um, there's a lot of initiatives in there uh, in terms of like, you know, sustainability and food and, you know, uh, there's a lot of initiatives and there's a lot of money that's spent into supporting um, people of color and vulnerable populations to, you know, have more equity in their food. But it's, the question is, is it working? Hmm. And the question is, you know, how it's still very, that space is still very white. It's like you have, yeah. um, you know, people coming in and they're like, oh, you know, eat five fruits and vegetables. And it's like, well, no, that narrative doesn't really truly work. So you have to really look at the whole, this, this problem from a, from a bigger and broader standpoint. So I felt, I know that the population that I'm targeting is into entertainment. So I found a really, really great niche way to you know, bring people together. Hey, it's a party, food and wine. But when you get there, there's this educational part. When you get there, all of these magical things happen. But I'm not leading with, hey, I'm going to change your diet and make you, you know, eat 
these foods that you don't know anything about. So I think part of it is looking at, you know, for, for black people, you know, food and entertainment and lifestyle is something that's important to us. How do we merge those, those together and allow people to be educated and to learn and to see themselves in the space. And that's what I've been doing with the two, bringing it to the table and the Black Food and Wine Experience. And the Black Food and Wine Experience came about because I had a really hard time selling the concept that Black people wanted to see Black chefs cook food and cook food that wasn't soul food. So people were like, well, is it soul food? I'm like, no. We made so you know, but that's not what this is about. This yeah. is about you know, showing that whatever these chefs come up with, whether it's soul food or not, is what you know their creativity. It's 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 a part of what they have done and their experiences in their life. And so we're not gonna just say, hey, you know, here's these these items. Now just make soul food and tell us how to make it, you know. And so. Um, there was a lot of challenges and pushback and not only just from, you know, uh, white people, but also black people as well, you know, mm. cause they're like, well, why do we, you know, who's going to watch this and why are people wanting to see this? So, um, without having, you know, a lot of TV background in terms of like who to contact and stuff like that, we've done a pretty good job with, you know, finding ways to pitch and stuff like that through other people. Um, but I said, well, let me see what I could do in terms of controlling something and taking the same concept. So the Black Food and Wine Experience is nothing more than the same concept of the of bringing it to the table. And so we highlight our competition throughout the space. Um, and uh, so people, you know, when they come, they get to taste. You know, we have our Black Women in Wine Garden. So we're celebrating, you know, women, Black women in the space that create wine. We have our vegan, you know, room. We're celebrating, like, the whole veganism and, you know, ideas of fresh fruits and vegetables and how to make them taste healthy. And people get to try try all these different wonderful things. And then we have all these chefs making different types of foods. And we do have our Southern stuff, but we also have, you know... Um, more of the healthy versions of the things that we like, like cauliflower mac and cheese and, you know, Southern fried um, cauliflower and, you know, impossible meatballs stuff, you know, so there's a variety of things that people get to try. Um, We had our trap in coffee lounge or, you know, we had a live band playing like, you know, all these amazing instrument trap music through the instruments. And we had red Bay coffee and, you know, sit and drink coffee and listen to the music um there's just so many like stations for people to go yeah to try and so um we're so excited about bringing the black food and wine experience for 2021 hopefully you know with the COVID-19 things open up yeah but we're also adding on to the event an industry day where we are going to be inviting thought leaders and, you know, people that are in the industry to have a conversation around what equity looks like in the space, you know, what we need to be doing to bridge the gaps and working together and just bringing, you know, people together because there's, there's more than just being a chef. I know quite a bit of, you know, food scientists, you know, I know people who are, you know, 
that have sold, you know, Fortune 500 companies and robot food, robotics, you know, there's all these different uh, ideas and ways in terms of where this is going. And I think the conversation, just starting the conversation with companies and um, diverse groups of people and finding out how can we build more equity? What do we want to see to make a better world, you know, for all people? And so um, that is something that we are, uh, that we're looking to, to add on. And um, we've done, we've done a fundraiser to, um, we raised, let's see, we raised $4,100 in the last two weeks. And so we had a campaign on Facebook and that they allow 14 days. So that has closed and now we're pushing our GoFundMe so that we can build out um, our website and we can also add on to the uh, the event. So, you know, this, this event is, like I said, a labor of love. We have been, um, I've been pushing this event for the last, you know, four years and we're coming up on our fifth anniversary. And, uh, you know, we need to get the funding that is that we need more funding so that we can build out this event and that we can have um, paid, you know, positions because most of the people that are working on this is their volunteers and myself. And so um, in order to to reach the demand and do what, what needs to happen, we have to have the proper funding. So we're also looking into, you know, sponsorship and partnerships. And so, um, People like Impossible Foods and some of the other companies that I've worked with, like Lyft, they helped last year. Um, we're able to to uh, have conversations about what that looks like. And so if anybody is interested in supporting, we definitely will. We're definitely open. Awesome. And would, if folks want to support your work, is the best way to head to your website? And is there a way to donate through there? Um, I have a GoFundMe. So it's GoFundMe Black Food and Wine Experience. Um, if they just type that in, it'll come up. It, awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll throw a link to that in the show notes as well. You know, I, I think the, the black food and wine experience to me is so exciting and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. I think it's just such an inspiring example of what these concepts, these at times really abstract concepts of equity and inclusion and diversity actually can look like in practice. And, you know, something you embody that actually, I think a lot of the effective change makers I've talked to in this show are is uh, this idea that you're going to persuade more people through a party than through a lecture. And I think that's, that's so awesome and in, inspiring. And that's something I've really taken away from talking to you that look like we have to make these concepts, whether it's anti-racism or sustainability or health, whatever your core concept is, you want to get people to get on board with, you got to make it fun and you got to make it engaging. Otherwise people, you know, they're not going to listen the way you want them to. Right. I mean, and people get tired, you know, so, you know, when you say words like, you know, social justice and, you know, we're coming together for, you know, impact work, like cer- certain people, you know, they, because, you know, being black can be exhausting. They're already, you know, like, well, I don't know if I want to dive into that right now. So to have an event where it's a celebration and you're doing the same thing and the impact is the same, is so important. Um, and, you know, who, it, it's nice to say, you know, let's have a good time you know, yeah. and, and to be in that space where people are just really happy and, and they're learning and they, and all the things that come out of it is the same. And so, yeah. 
I, I, I know that and I, I've been really, really um, happy with the fact that I've been able to make these changes without, you know, saying so many words that make people feel afraid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's, that's really important. And honestly, I appreciate the candor of what you just said also that uh, being black in America is exhausting. I think that's something that, uh, that white people need to sit with that I've, I've had friends of mine bring up this idea of like activism burnout, right. Of, Oh, I've been up in arms and upset about racism for a couple months now and I'm, I'm getting burnt out on it. And you know, the polite, but <laughs> important pushback to that is well, try, try living with racism your whole life and then tell me how tired you are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I know I, I seriously appreciate you just pushing all of us to think about that of look like this work is hard. It's important to embrace joy and rest because this work has to keep going. Right. Exactly. And the fact too, I was, did, I did a podcast yesterday and um, this woman out of Chicago, she's like, you know, I didn't even know she's an African American woman. And she's like, she's just, you know, interviewing me because she thought that the black food and wine experience was a really fun you know, event and just the, the fact that she loves food and wine. But she's like, I didn't even know that there was like this whole social justice thing to everything that you're doing. She's like, that's interesting because I never really thought that food had such a, you know, sort of a political or just that there were so many, you know, things going on. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, because we're not aware. We have to be aware. If you look at the systemic issues in terms of why is there so many people diabetic now that are African-American and what can we do in Asian-American as well? Like, why is this happening? You know? And so it's not just go to the doctor and, you know, he prescribes some medication. It's no, let's dive into like why these things are happening. Let's look at, you know, what we can do because these are all diet related issues. Yeah. You know, so, um, so looking at food as a way, as a, as a way of empowerment, is what, you know, I'm about. It's like, let's empower each other through what's on our plate, through through what we share in terms of our own equity at the table. You know, we, we have to have, we have to at least have options. And if people don't know what options are available, then they're going to be stuck in one idea that can be harmful to them. Wow. That's incredibly well said. Uh, Chef, maybe I feel like you and I could go back and forth talking about food and inclusivity and all these uh, culinary history and all this stuff for hours, but I do want to be respectful of your time and uh, transition now to the closer questions if you're ready to go. Yes, I'm ready. Amazing. This, this has been such a fun chat that I, I, I'm holding myself back from just keeping going here. Um, <laughs> first, first closure question here is, is there anything we've talked about that you think folks listening should really follow up with or explore in more depth on their own time? Yes. I mean, I, I would love to see more folks of different backgrounds come to the Black Food and Wine Experience. So make sure that, you know, you follow. I'm, my website is in reconstruction. So um, it's going to, you know, reflect everything that's going on for, with the event and all the different things that are up and coming. Um, and, you know, think about when you think about equity, you know, for every person is going to be different. Yeah. But just when you think about how you're hiring a chef, um, if you work at a corporation and you see, you know, there's opportunity for catering, there's opportunity to share in, you know, the wealth of the ecosystem, 
think about, hmm, well, maybe I can hire, you know, a black caterer or a black chef um, so that you can see the different types of foods and what the philosophies are. The part of it is, is looking to share in the ecosystem because, yeah. you know, we're here, but we're not getting those same opportunities because people aren't reaching far to see like where other opportunities can come from, you know, or come to. Um, so that's one, you know, hire someone, um, look into the work that's being done. Um, there's a, there's a silent movement that's going on, you know, with black chefs and conversations, there's a lot of, you know, um, conversation around it that, uh, if you like Google, you know, like where are the black chefs or, you know, what, what, what are black chefs doing? You can read articles around, you know, different chefs and the ideas that they have and, what's going on in the culinary space. So just being aware, like who's out there, you know, what people are doing is important. Um, there's also the black winemaker. So, you know, one of the, one of the things you can do is, you know, purchase uh, black, you know, wine from the black winemaker. They're, they have delivery options. So, you know, people like the McBride sisters um, or Paula Harrell, who's local or Wachira. Um, or Wine New York, who is representing South African wines. Um, you can just try, you know, all the different wines and different things that they have. Um, I've pivoted my business right now because of COVID, and my business was heavily um, built on, you know, events and catering and that kind of thing. And so I'm doing um, corporate cooking classes online. And um, so we've already, you know, been working with like Google. Um, Impossible Foods. We're doing one for Genentech tomorrow. And these these cooking classes are super fun and innovative. So if you're working at, you know, a, a corporation and you're like, oh, we want to have a happy hour. We want to bring in someone that it's a team building exercise. Um, people get a chance to cook along with me. It was fun to see like 600 people cooking with me and you know, they're at home with their families, dogs running around, babies running around, you know, and everybody's just kind of like cooking and drinking wine and having a good time. And then at the end, you know, they get to show their dishes and uh, they also get a chance to, you know, eat. We all ate together and it was, it was, it's a really fun time. So I have a structure for that. And so basically, you know, you would contact me at the chef Mimi at gmail.com. Um, and then I would, you know, send you sort of like the outline of how this all goes. It's a 90 minute cooking class. Um, and we're looking at opportunities to bring it to individuals. But right now, the corporate structure is where we lie because it's just easier for them to organize everybody. And then I get on and do my thing. And um, but I'm going to be I'm, people have been requesting, you know, for me to to open it up to the public and do like one big one. So that will be coming soon. So my website is thechefmimi.com. Um, we will be updating the website to reflect those classes when they're ready to be, um, when they're ready to open. So that's, that's pretty much that. Amazing. Uh, and what's a positive change you made in your life in the past year you think that folks should try? Oh, um, a positive change. I stopped eating a lot of carbs <laughs> and, um, I have, um, I've lost 
in the last four weeks, I've lost 10 pounds. Um, so I'm just like taking out, you know, is the sugar and substituting for like monk fruit and, you know, more like natural products and, yep. um, not eating, you know, potatoes and rice and all those things. Um, and I, you know, it gives me a lot of energy. And so that's one positive thing that I've been doing. Um, in addition to, to this work, I feel like just my life work and doing this work is also a big part of me being positive because I, I know that when I, when I get a chance to affect someone's life or they get to see something different through conversation that, um, you know, it's, it's a change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like you're really living your passion and your purpose, which is just something a lot of us aspire to. Definitely. That is exactly what I'm doing. And it's hard, you know, because sometimes you get, you know, you just want what you want, but (laughs) yeah. So, you know, the thing is in life is that, you know, there's never, there's never a no, you just, you can always flow back to whatever that you, you decide that you want and whatever your initial initial idea is. Even if you mess up, there's still opportunity to, to change or to, to be better. And we're all growing. We're all learning. Wise words to live by right there from Chef Mimi. And if you're cooking for somebody, you want to make them feel loved, what are you going to make for them? Um, oh, let's see. So... I went to a friend's house. This person is a very heavy meat eater. And I mean, they're the type of person that has like, you know, prime rib on a smoker, like any time of the day you go to their house, there's <laughs> there's like, you know, some type of meat on the grill. And so I said, well, let, you know, let me, I want to make you something. Cause I know that they're, they want to lose weight and they want to be healthier. And I didn't tell them what I was going to make. What I made was, um, I made some, plant-based meatballs. It was made out of impossible meat. I stuffed mm-hmm. the meat with um, a local uh, Miyoko's Creamery. She's a, a, a local um, plant-based creamery business. And so she has like the best vegan butter and, and vegan cheese. Um, and then they have like this cashew nut cre- uh, like cream cheese. So I stuffed the meatball with like garlics, onions, and parsley and lemon thyme and the the vegan cheese and the the vegan um, spread and then rolled it and then pan seared it and stuck it in the oven. Mm. I made some yams and then I used the vegan, I made a vegan compound butter, vanilla butter with, um, with, with the fresh vanilla beans and vegan and uh, vanilla extract and made a compound butter with the, um, with Miyoko's uh, vegan butter and put it on top of the um, pan sear, the, the yams to bring the sugars out of them and um, put the vegan butter on top and stuck it in the oven so good. It almost tastes like uh, caramel. It was just like this really like, like caramel flavor. Um, but there was no, you know, we use monk fruit to sweeten the, um, the, the, the yams just a little bit. Uh, and then I made vegan greens. And so, uh, I use I, vegan barbecue greens. I forgot to add the barbecue. Whoa. So instead of using like, you know, salt pork and all the different, um, meats, we, we use the greens to kind of, we use the barbecue sauce to, and to kind of get that extra little meaty flavor. 
So we chopped up some bell peppers, different types of bell peppers, onions, garlic. And there's here's a little trick and a takeaway. Mm. A lot of times people, when they make greens, they cook them with you know water and they cook them for hours. And that's sort of like a sole traditional way to do greens. But I take the greens and, and, and put olive oil on top of them and a little bit of kosher salt and I massage the greens and until the volume of the greens are like literally half of what they normally were, breaking down all the cells mm-hmm. in the greens. And then I flash cook them in a little bit of olive oil and uh, vegetable stock. And I add, you know, peppers and onions and garlic and literally cook them in less than five minutes. And so you keep and hold the nutrients that's in the food and, it, and just add a little bit of the barbecue sauce little bit of hot sauce and um, a little bit of pepper. It's amazing. Whoa. Chef, the only downside of our conversation is that we're recording this right before lunch and you're making me very hungry. (laughs) 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 Um, That is an amazing tip. So you massage the greens before you cook them, folks. That's that's a big takeaway because I know for me, when every time I cook collards or even like kale, it can take a while for them to really reduce. So I love that idea of just getting it going early with a massage. I think that's something folks are doing with their kale salads maybe, but I don't think, I've never done that before braising them. So I'm definitely going to give that a try. Uh, yeah, definitely. And what's an ingredient you could not live without? Um, I cannot live without garlic. Mm. I love, love, love garlic. It's one of those things that just make everything taste better. You can even have garlic ice cream. <laughs> but um, yeah, I like garlic. You know, it's it's it. They have municipal principles in them. You know, they they it's super flavorful. Um, it just wakes up any dish and, you know, any sauce when you add garlic, it just, it's just something that I, I really love and enjoy cooking with. Amazing. And what is your least favorite thing to waste? I don't like wasting food period, like just overall. So, um, you know, as a chef, there's so many different techniques that you can use to not waste food and, you know, um, I try to use, you know, compost and try to, you know, make sure that I have minimum amounts of waste, even, even when I'm, even in my business practices and at home, um, there's so many little, there's a lot of different things that, that I do, uh, in terms of, you know, like I say, like making sure that I have my compost, making sure that, um, I think, the other piece is is where I see a lot of waste. It's not even just in the preparation of food, but just how people store food. Yes. Um, <laughs> I always call that, you know, the, the vegetable bin, you know, one of the, the nightmares of a lot of different families. Like they get fresh fruits and vegetables and they put them in the bin just in its natural form. And they don't really know like what goes in the bin, what doesn't, you know, should you, you know, some things, some vegetables and fruit don't go in the bin. Amazing. Chef Mimi, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can folks learn more about you and the work that you do? You can go to my website, um, www.thechefmimi.com. And you can also, uh, you know, Google Chef Mimi, all my events and things that I've done in the past. I have a link tree that I can send and everything is on the link tree from the website to all my articles, um, every you know, things that I've done in the past. So I'll definitely include that in the email for you. 
Amazing. And we'll have links to everything we talked about today in the show notes and on our website. That's thewholecarrot.com where this podcast to live. Definitely check that out. Chef Mimi, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. 